Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, August 21st, 2014. We will be definitely playing our warning today. Holy guacamole. I don't even know how to describe this episode. I might just name this episode, Don't Listen While Driving Heavy Equipment. (laughs) It's that kind. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, this episode, you'll notice that it kind of follows a theme that we hit quite regularly here at Fighting for the Faith. In asking the question, Why is it that the people who are claiming direct revelation from God the Holy Spirit, that they say the weirdest things and the things that they say when they open up their Bible don't square with what the Bible says? There's, I mean, kind of begs the question, why would God the Holy Spirit in, you know, basically inspire these people with direct revelation, but never communicate to them, hey, you know, you're... You're really making me look silly, or you're saying things that aren't actually squaring with what I've revealed to real prophets in the past. You know what I'm saying? In fact, when you listen to what these people say, I mean, it makes you think that God the Holy Spirit is kind of like the lunatic portion of the Godhead. Yeah, you remember God is a trinity. There's one God, three persons. There's not three gods, one God, one God, three persons. And it's as if the Holy Spirit is kind of like, well... He's that really weird uncle, and uh, you know, during the uh, holidays, you know that weird uncle. We have him sit over at the kids' table because <laughs> the things that come out of his mouth are just too weird, over the top, for us to actually want to enjoy speaking with him. You know, or you know, we don't ever mention him in polite company, and the people will say things like, "Hey, don't you have that relative of yours that uh, you know it is in the loony bin?" Yeah, we don't talk about him much, and uh, that's the idea. Is is that when you listen to what these people say? I mean, it begs the question: Why should we believe that God, the Holy Spirit, is a nut? is a loon. Why should we believe that God the Holy Spirit is speaking to people when the, the people claiming direct revelation from God and obeying these, you know, these direct revelations and prophesying on the spot then what, you know, when they open up their Bible it doesn't actually square with what scripture says. So, to kind of make the point here, uh, oh man, we have a star-studded episode of Fighting for the Faith here. We're going to first, uh, uh, well, how do I explain this? We're going to listen to 
well, two guys uh, talking about a direct revelation regarding the supernatural savants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is from the King of Glory Prophetic Training Center. We've played these guys before, but new guy, uh, you know, kind of co-hosting on this. Supernatural Savants is supposedly the direct revelation that we got going on here. And then we're going to turn to God TV. Yeah, that's right, God TV. And we're going to be listening to Wendy Alec, mm -hmm, who's claiming that she's giving us a specific word from heaven about being passed over. And she's going to be reading from a book called mm -hmm, The Unknown Prophet. But the weird thing about the book The Unknown Prophet is, is that the um, author is Wendy Alec. Uh-huh. So then we'll switch gears somewhere in there. I don't know. We'll take a break. And then we'll listen to Juanita Bynum. Mm -hmm. Now, <laughs> I don't know how I missed this one, but... Uh, we're going to be well listening to a portion of a message that she delivered a couple years back, and uh, she's claiming in this message direct revelation from God, and so we'll listen to a couple of portions from it uh, to kind of get the idea, and we'll listen to those portions in context, one where she's uh, claiming that she's hearing directly from God the Holy Spirit, and then she's going to go on this tirade where, how dare you question your pastor kind of thing. Yeah, and then in our number two, wow, um, if you if it's been a while since you've heard Mark Sharona, we've covered him a couple of times here on Fighting for the Faith, and um, we're going to be listening to a message that he delivered at the Piercing the Darkness Prophetic Conference entitled, If It Wants to Happen, It Needs to Be Spoken. If It Wants to Happen, It Needs to Be Spoken. That's going to be our sermon review today. And uh, let's just say that um, collectively, this is probably the most physically harmful message, uh, well, episode of Fighting for the Faith, well, potentially harmful episode of Fighting for the Faith that we've done in a while. And, uh, and so we're going to get right to it. I can't totally prepare you for what it is that you're going to hear in this episode, so let me play our standard warning and just understand that you have been warned if uh, physical harm happens to you or if you you know crash into another vehicle while listening to uh, Fighting for the Faith, this episode in particular, uh, while driving a piece of heavy uh, machinery. Uh, listen, you know, we've done our due diligence to try to warn you that this is a crazy episode. So with that, here's our warning. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You have been warned. So did you know that God, the Holy Spirit, has uh, been revealing to the, <laughs> the guys over the King of Glory Prophetic Training Center that uh, there's going to soon be an outbreak of supernatural savants? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else to say. Um, so with that, we're just going to get right to it. Like I said, you have been uh, warned. 
This is uh, Michael Danforth, who's going to be setting up the topic for us. Here we go. So, um, the King of Glory International Apostolic Prophetic Training Center, I think it's something similar to that, and Kevin Vasconi, well, they're going to be revealing to us um, apparently a direct revelation that they're receiving regarding the future emergence of supernatural savants. Yeah, that's all I got to tell you. Let's dive right into it. Here we go. Hi, Kevin Basconi here, your host at the Newman Network. We're coming to you from the very heart of Moravian Falls, North Carolina, at the new King of Glory Ministries Apostolic Equipping Center. We've just finished an exciting summer school of the Holy Spirit, and God did some amazing healings and miracles. All sl- Summer school of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Breakthroughs happened in people's lives, and uh, Michael Danforth is here with me from Mountaintop International in Yakima, Washington. And during the School of the Holy Spirit, Michael was speaking about some revelation the Lord has given him about supernatural savants. So, Michael, if you don't mind, first of all, if you could tell the people what a savant is, and then share with them about this revelation the Lord has given you, which I believe is going to help the body of Christ grow up to be mature sons and daughters of the Most High God. Well, so apparently we can't grow up to be mature sons and daughters of the Most High God with just God's Word, you know, the Bible. Nope. No, we need we need a future releasing of supernatural savants. I mean, why did God the Holy Spirit wait 2,000 years to release these supernatural savants in the body of Christ? I mean, for you know, two millennia now, the, uh, the body of Christ has been limping along immature without the ability to mature without supernatural savants, you know? Supernatural savant is someone who has an intelligence that is beyond uh, what is considered the standard or normal uh, mind. And uh, so we have that both in the natural and in the spirit. So there's all kinds of, well, not all kinds, there's a limited number of actual savants in the world, whether it be mathematic, artistics, you know, all kinds of different fields. And so they, they're superior, you know, just at a higher level than the, than the average individual. And so what God showed me is that there are uh, supernatural savants, in other words, people that are tapping into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, moving into a field of intimacy and relationship to where they are beginning to surpass what is considered the normal uh, of revelation, understanding, uh, knowledge of the Spirit. It's literally just going to a, an entire different level. Mm. So where has the benchmark been set up to this point on this particular metric that we're talking about? You know, I mean, what is the normal expectation regarding you know supernatural prophetic insight and things like that at the, at the current moment, you know, so that... You know, the next people we will recognize, oh, yeah, you know, you're one of those supernatural savants that they told me about from the King of Glory Apostolic Equipping Center, you know? Emerging all over. Now, let me interject something because uh, savants, as we know them in the natural realm, are people who have a unusual level of intelligence, but what Michael is teaching is that God is uh, helping the body of Christ, his children, sons and daughters of the Most High God, to develop to such a level that we'll begin to operate in that level of intelligence, that level of supernatural understanding, and it's available to you. Yes, yeah, and that's... Wow, it's available to me. Uh, You know, Thankfully, I mean, it's available to, uh, you know, it's, by the way, this is a prophetic service that we're offering here at Fighting for the Faith. I mean, if without you hearing this, you would never have heard this direct revelation from God, the Holy Spirit, that you, 
uh, can be a supernatural savant. This is available to you. So what do I need to do if I want to experience savant in, in, in this? Is that a word, savant in this? You know, I don't know. If I want to be a supernatural savant. Showed me is that everybody has the potential of becoming a savant. Everybody carries a level of revelation of understanding within them concerning whatever it is, uh, in, you know, that God has placed within them to cause that to bring up and enter into a field of understanding, revelation, knowledge that is beyond the norm, beyond what most people have comprehended. It's an amazing revelation, and you know we're beginning to see it. In my opinion, in the body of Christ, certain people are being getting to get revelation that hasn't been released from the kingdom of heaven before and there's mm-hmm. revelation that hasn't been released from the kingdom of heaven before uh-huh yet scripture tells us that you know prophecy and vision are sealed up and um and you know if we're getting revelation from heaven that's been never been released before well then we'd better start writing this stuff down and tacking it onto the back of our bibles don't you think to have supernatural understanding in different aspects of God's kingdom. One area would be, for example, the seer anointing. And Michael, you were talking to me privately about a couple others. Why don't you mention some of those? Well, you know, when you were mentioning like a seer's anointing, one of the things that the Lord showed me is there's a new new kind of prophet that's rising on the scene. And the- there's a new kind of prophet rising up on the scene. No way. Wow. I mean, it's uh, this is, you know, this is exciting stuff. I mean, because, you know, here we are, you know, we're kind of getting towards the end of the summer, you know. And one of the things that happens during the end of the summer as we get into the fall season is all the automakers, you know, they begin to release the next year's models for their, you know, their lineup of cars, you know. So very shortly we should be seeing, you know, commercials for the 2015 Toyota Tundra or the 15 uh, 2015 version of the uh, Ford F250 you know cab you know pickup truck and and the next Prius and you know and the next Taurus I mean this is exciting so right now God the Holy Spirit he's doing this and he's giving us like the 2015 prophetic lineup you know model you know never before ever seen before type of prophet I mean the new and improved model you know being someone that is no longer just predicting the future or moving kind of in the realms that they used to realm, but a prophet that is, and when I say prophet, I'm actually talking about a prophetic people that is able to uh, manifest heaven on earth, that they move into a creative realm and they begin to uh, reveal what they are seeing in heaven on earth, and that is a whole different realm of, of display. Now, if you wouldn't mind, you shared a testimony with us here at the uh, School of Holy Seers about the time you were in Ireland, and I think that is a beautiful parabolic portrait of this type of anointing that Michael is talking about. Would you mind sharing with the viewers of the Newman Network what you saw in the spirit and then how, as you decreed it, there was a release of creative words and creative nature of God in the nation of Ireland. So in other words, the prophetic thing that he saw, the prophetic thing that he decreed had creative power, which literally impacted the whole nation of Ireland. It's just an amazing testimony. Yeah, it was during a few years ago when I was in Bray, Ireland, just outside of Dublin. Uh, The Lord was stirring in me just this understanding that our words create motion, again, rather than just predicting something, but creating motion, creating movement. And I was actually sharing this with the people 
people and just moved into that realm. So notice our words create motion. Our words create our words. That would make us little deities, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's what that would make us, and we are not. We're creatures. We're not little gods. This is a big problem. And all of a sudden, I was in a realm to where I saw these waves. I was standing on these waves in the spirit and saw these winds, all these different things going on. The Lord gave me revelation, knowledge of import, export, of all kinds of different things that uh, was about ready to shift in the area of Ireland where I was at. Mm. So you're into the area of prophetic importing and exporting. Sounds like George Costanza, you know, the prophet. Okay, so you're into import-export, and there's going to be shifting. Why is it that all of these people who claim to be receiving uh, direct revelation from God, the Holy Spirit, that one of their favorite words in the whole world is shift? Yeah, it's just weird. I mean, they're always talking, there's going to be shiftings. What do you mean by that exactly? How, how, how is that word defined when you're using it in a sentence like that? And, uh, and so what happened was, is I shared what I was seeing by the spirit with the people. And uh, it wasn't even a few days later, say like, you know, four or five days later, I started getting emails from Ireland and from the brave community that the very thing that was spoken and said now was manifesting. They were having historical waves on the Northern shore of Ireland that was, you know, greater and higher than it, than history, than anything they'd ever encountered. And so there were other imports. There were things that they just discovered uh, treasures in in the earth, uh, uh, a gas, you know, they normally have export most of their gas, and so now they're actually, uh, or in, uh, I mean import most of their gas, now they're actually exporting it, and so it, it's just, it was just an amazing, so it was kind of a, depicts, you know, the reality of what was going on. Yeah, um, boy, that was vague, wasn't it? So let's see, they had large surf. And now they're exporting oil, all because you had a prophetic, creative word. Oh, you must be one of those supernatural savants. Yeah, clearly, if it's available to everybody else, well, you took advantage of it, and you yourself are speaking as a supernatural savant. Another amazing aspect of that supernatural experience, and this is when I make it clear, you entered into a realm of the spirit, a spiritual dimension in the kingdom of God, and you began to decree what you were seeing, and it literally changed the atmosphere of a nation. And if you don't mind, could you share about how you saw the- it? it cha- what he decreed changed the atmosphere of a nation? How does a couple of days of high surf and uh, exporting oil change the whatever of a nation? I mean, th- that's kind of stretching the bonds of credulity, don't you think? Celebrate gold. Yeah, yeah, there was prophetic words about gold and that they would celebrate gold. And they actually found, like, gold in other areas, you know, uh, you know, in in whatever it was. But the amazing thing was is there was a a lady, a young gal, uh, at the Winter Olympics, uh, you know, were coming up. And so in the Winter Olympics, this gal won gold. And so she literally went through the town, and the people of Bray celebrated the gold. That's amazing. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah. So, okay, so a local athlete won gold at the Olympics? How does, I mean, what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? What does this have to do with proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations and teaching what's in accord with sound biblical doctrine? This is nonsense. I mean, I hate to say it this way, but um, William Tapley makes more sense than you guys.
Okay, moving along. Now, what we're going to be listening to is uh, supposedly a prophetic word from heaven um, given to a lady who's associated with God TV. Her name is Wendy Alec, and she's going to be reading uh, a, a prophecy from the book The Unknown Prophet, which is weird because she's the one who wrote it, and on, on being passed over. This is a little bit long, but... Stay with it, because the thing she, as she kind of winds up, it gets crazier, well, with each passing moment. Let's uh, listen in as Wendy Alec reads from The Unknown Prophet, the book that she wrote, regarding uh, a word from God about being passed over. Here we go. I'm back with you again this week, and this week we're going to talk about transition, divine alignment, timing. The Lord brought that back. But I felt that what the Lord wanted to talk about this week was the wilderness. And I'm going to read um, from Journal of the Unknown Prophet on being passed over. The Lord says, Oh, beloved, I see you in that place of solitude. I see you in that place where no man knows or discerns the call and the destiny or purpose for your life. Uh huh. The Unknown Prophet. This would be the prophet that actually didn't make it into the Bible, apparently. Uh, the uh, Purpose Driven Prophet, who talks about divine destiny and purpose and things like that. Not in, she's not actually reading from the Bible, but this is a book she wrote called The Unknown Prophet. Creepy. And I would say to you this day that even in this place, is it not I who have hidden you in the cleft of the rock? Is it not by my sovereign hand that for a brief moment I have chosen to hide my plan and my purpose from those who presently surround you? That's hard, I know. You see, beloved child, called out by me, chosen and ordained to my end time purpose. It is in the place of solitude. It is in the place of misrepresentation. It is in the place of misunderstanding. It is in the place where you are passed over that I prove you. It is in this place of no recognition and no man's approval that surely your heart is tried and tested as to whom you will serve. Mm, Now who's supposedly speaking to us as she's reading this book? Yeah, apparently that's a message from God. Not found in your Bible. Hmm. So, precious child, this day I ask you, would you serve man and man's recognition and obtains man's rewards so fleeting like a vapor? Oh, no, my child, be strong, be of great courage and draw into my secret place. And it is as you humble yourself, even amidst the pain of death to your flesh, even when no man knows your call, when no man sees your place or discerns my purpose for your life, that it is in the crucible of all that seems to count so much that truly you are crucified with me, that it may no longer be that you live, but my spirit shall live within you. For surely it shall be that in this coming days my bride shall say, no longer Christ in me, but I am in Christ. No longer Christ in me, but surely I have been crucified with Christ, and my life is hid in him. And so, beloved child, in this place of quietness, in this place of obscurity, be not dismayed at all that surrounds you at this present time, but rejoice in that your king is your great right hand, and know that as you worship me and me alone, I shall bring your purpose forth in season, and you shall know that to serve the living God. Mm, So apparently God in this book, The Unknown Prophet, is promising to reveal your purpose and your destiny during the dry season when you feel like you're being passed over kind of thing. 
Oh, how assuring. I mean, don't you think if God, the Holy Spirit, really wanted us to believe this, that he actually would have inspired one of the Old Testament prophets to write this? You know, just, you know, throwing it out on the table is a question, you know. And to wait only for my approval and seek only my recognition, the way to death of death to self is surely the only way to eternal life in my kingdom. So be strong, beloved. Be of good courage, for I will never fail you or forsake you. For surely you have been tried in the furnace of affliction and have been found faithful. And so you have touched the heart of the Father. And just before I, 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 I start to what, say what I, share what I feel the Holy Spirit saying on that. Oh, you you want to share what you feel the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Really? Hmm. So she's a prophetess. Weird that she's quoting from a non-canonical book and now claiming direct revelation from God. I just feel that I just want to go back to last week when we were talking about those who were in transition who need to stay in exactly the same place, in exactly the same position. But there was a third thing that was the timing of God. Um, The timing of God and the Lord wants to speak to those today who, who, who have been read about here, to those today who are in a place of obscurity, to those today who have been passed over by man, to those today that you know what God has for you. You know that you have stood on his promise for, for some of you for years and years and the vision that he's placed in you. For some of you, it's a generational vision. For some of you, when that destiny and purpose upon your life is released, Where does the Bible say that God's going to reveal to you a specific destiny or purpose for your life? Yeah, see, let's let's just challenge the whole premise of this whole thing for a minute. Okay, if you know anything about the human life is that, well, it has different phases to it. Okay, for instance, when you were growing up, mm -hmm, you were a child and you lived in your parents' home, right? And you went to grade school. What was your vocation at that time? Well, you had a couple. You were in the vocation of child, which means you were to honor your father and mother, right? You were in the vocation of student, which means that, uh, you know, if you were thinking along these lines, then your job is to do good work in school and to learn and to, and to do, get high marks and apply yourself to learning, right? So you were in the vocation of student. Now, When you went to college, you were still in the vocation of student, but you might have had a part-time job, maybe working at the local mall or for, you know, a company kind of in the lower rung type of thing. What was your purpose then? Well, you were a student and and you were an employee, right? And uh, and so, you know, the the command to slaves, you know, to obey your masters actually kind of of comes into play, works there vocationally as well. Uh, And then you got married, right? And so you were in the uh, the vocation of spouse. And then you had kids. You were in the vocation of spouse, employee, and parent. And so – and then what happens when your kids grow up and they leave? You you become an empty nester and maybe you, you have a different thing that you're going to do in life. Maybe because your kids are out of the house, you change careers. You know, maybe you – you know, like some guys do, you know, you know, when they get older, they go, the kids are out of the house. I'm going to pursue ministry, right? Now, what was your unique destiny purpose then if, say, 
by the age of 60, you know, you 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 die, right? So you what 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 was your unique destiny? Because you, in your life you were a child, you were a student, you were a husband, you were or a, a wife, you were a parent, you were um you know maybe a grandparent, you were employee for several different companies. What was your unique purpose in all of that when you come to the end of your life? You see what I'm saying here? There's something really screwy with this because this isn't what Scripture teaches, nor is this even remotely close to our experience. And believe me when I tell you, okay, the world is going to get on just fine without me and without you. Mm -hmm. God's not calling on you to save the world or to recreate the world in your image. No, not at all. In fact, you know what you are? You're a creature. That's it. You're a creature. You're one of God's creatures. You have a God, and your Savior isn't you, and you're not the Savior of the world. You know, There's not some unique destiny that if you don't do it, well, God's plan's going to run amok. No. God's calling you to love and serve your neighbor in your different various vocations during the different times and seasons of your life and do it well. Okay. So, you know, I, this whole destiny purpose thing is just so utterly narcissistic. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's as if, you know, listen, you know, the whole world can survive the death of everybody on the planet except you, you know. And that's just ridiculous. It's not true. You are a creature. You were born dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus is your savior. And we're to proclaim him, not us. He's the one who had that unique destiny purpose because he's the anointed one. That's what Mashiach, Messiah means, right? Christ. Yeah, the word Christos, Christ, means anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. He's the one with the unique destiny, the unique purpose. Not you. You will change nations. For some of you, when that destiny upon your lives is released, you will change. It's generational. It's entire generationals that will be changed. But right now, the Lord says there are some of you who are. Oh, you're going to change nations. Really? No. In the furnace of affliction, right now, the Lord says, there are some of you who, even like Joseph, have found yourself in the pit. There are some of you who have found yourself in the, posi- in the prison. I feel right now. I- oh, you're just like Joseph. You're in the pit. Oh, no. It's your destiny. It's, it's, it all depends on you. The world is hanging in the balance. If You, you just got to get through this wilderness time when you feel like you're being passed over. Since there are some of you who have been wrongly accused, there are some of you who have been set up and wrongly accused, says the Lord. There are some of you who have been misrepresented. There are some of you who have been betrayed. Oh, I feel there are some of you who have had real agony that you have been betrayed in this hour. And the Father is right there. He sees that. He sees that agony. Yeah, you know what that is right there? That's called gibberish. That is not speaking in tongues. That's not a language. That's just gibberish. Humana, 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 she drove a Honda. You know, I mean, this, is, this isn't this is anything. 
Oma gamba basti bilechen. Hemelemele brakuti. There are some of you who are, have been in such a wilderness. There are some of you who have been in such a wilderness that you've been driven and tempted almost to despair, says the Lord. Umbroko said, There are some of you who have been in such a wilderness because you've looked to your right and you've seen friends of yours, you've seen neighbors of yours, you've seen minister friends of yours, you've seen those in churches. There are some of you, I believe, who, who have churches. There are some of you who have ministries. There are some of you who have missions, and, and yet it seems like the bud is not blooming, that it's just bare and dry, and yet you know the Lord's called you. You know the Lord's called you to impact an entire generation. You know the, you know the Lord has called you to impact an entire generation. You know, there's so few of those people in, uh, the, in human history, and the, one of the things that is kind of consistent with all of them, you know, with just a couple of exceptions, um, that uh, the the people who've positively impacted human history didn't set out as a goal to impact human history or you know anything of the say, of the sort. No, they you know think of Martin Luther. I mean, did he set out to start the uh, the Protestant Reformation? The answer is no. What happened? He discovered the gospel. He was reading his Bible. He was reading the Book of Romans. He he. This is a man. Who, if there was ever somebody who could be saved by being a Roman Catholic monk, you know, and save himself by his monkery, well, then Martin Luther was the guy. Did he set out to? St- no, he didn't. He just, you know, basically spun out, you know, ran Roman Catholicism, medieval, medieval Roman Catholicism, to his logical conclusion, and discovered there was no assurance in there. He hated God, and then he's reading through the Book of Romans because he's teaching it, and what does he discover? Oh, the righteous will live by faith. The righteousness from God has been revealed that, you know, that is by faith, right? And that righteousness is a gift. He discovers the gospel and and it radically changes his thinking. And so, you know, he's posts the 95 thesis against the practice of indulgences with this understanding from the book of Romans. And it it changes the, a generation, the world, and it makes a big impact. Why? Not because Martin Luther received a prophetic vision, destiny, whatever, to do anything of the sort. He wasn't trying to do any of that at all. He had no delusions of grandeur, and he was quite content to be a creature. Boy, this is nonsense. Anyway, you kind of get the point as to what's going on here. And when you really start to push on this theology that teaches you that you're supposed to have this direct revelation from God, and you start scrutinizing these so-called messages from God, the Holy Spirit, you begin to realize, yeah, wait a second, you know, this doesn't sound like the God who inspired the prophets of the Bible at all. In fact, it sounds very alien, very foreign, very off, very narcissistic, very demonic. It doesn't point me to Jesus now, does it? points you to you. Yeah, any prophetic word that points you to you, yeah, that's a problem because Jesus said when he sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and unbelief. And the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing people to Jesus and the message of him crucified for our sins. That's what gets lost in all the mix of this nonsense, chasing after these waves and winds and shifts of the Spirit and all this kind of stuff. Uh, these are people who are chasing after literally something that's like the wind, but they're not chasing God, the Holy Spirit, and what they're receiving isn't from him at all. 
All right, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. I want to eat a Bynum update. It's been a while since we featured her. And then hour number two, Mark Sharona, one of the weirdest messages you'll ever hear. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll come in again. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do chief weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose uh, uh, vision. Okay. And, okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah 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 blah. Youth pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's 
featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to have doubts about those claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God. And that is a good thing. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That's a great way to support us, by the way. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208 and let me thank you for your support because we cannot do what we are doing here without it and a reminder a reminder we've got the 2014 pirate christian radio t-shirts available now and uh, you can get them by going to fightingforthefaith.com and click on the link at the top of the page that says bake sale bake sale that's right and uh, get your 2014 pcr T-shirt today, and uh, I think they're eighteen ninety five or nineteen ninety five plus two something for shipping and handling, and and that'll get you, get it anywhere in the world. We kind of got that all worked out. So, all right, moving along, uh, kind of we're still under this you know, fractured fairy tales type of thing. Let's listen into uh, Juanita Bynum as she tells everyone to submit and repent, and she's supposedly yeah, well, um, preaching on a text from uh, either first or second Samuel, but. Uh, the things she says in this um, are quite interesting. Here we go. The tremendous warfare. But I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier. As I began this word, I'm really glad that many of you have had ability to experience the praise. Because tonight, my interest tonight is not to excite you, but I have a mandate on my life for an assignment. And I got to make sure that you get what God is saying tonight. She has a mandate on her life for an assignment, not something revealed in scripture. You know, it's one of these direct revelation, vision, purpose, destiny thingies. 
Okay, which explains why she thinks she's qualified to be getting up at a church and preaching from a pulpit, despite the fact that the Word of God absolutely forbids this. When you look at the book of 1 Samuel and the ninth chapter, you're looking at a very familiar passage of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now watch what she does here. Almost furtic style, narcissistic eisegesis, narcissizing. And it started out that the father of Saul had lost his donkeys. And he sent Saul and a servant to look for them. And in the midst of them being frustrated, the servant made Saul aware that there was a man of God named Samuel. And the Bible said that Samuel was a seer. And I like to begin reading because Saul said to the servant then, if this man Samuel is a seer, then why don't we go and inquire of him as to where my father's donkeys are? And the first thing that the Lord brought to my attention is that Saul began to say that in order for us to inquire of a seer, we must have something to bring him. And then that's when God began to help me to understand. Okay, so this is a divine interpretation that Juanita Bynum is claiming for 1 Samuel chapter 9. Okay, because you know, she has a divine destiny and calling on her life, and it's about time you all recognize that. That when you get to the 5th verse, it says and I want you to pay close attention to this, you got two people that are looking for the seer and then you got the seer said in the 15th verse, now a day before Saul came the Lord had revealed to Samuel in his ear tomorrow about this time I'm reading from the Amplified Bible I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin And you shall anoint him to be leader over my people Israel. And he shall save them out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon the distress of my people. Because their cry has come to me. When God began to give me that passage of scripture he said. I want you to look at the fact that Saul became a great man. Okay, now, who gave her this passage of Scripture? Oh, God directly gave her this passage of Scripture. It's a weird way to talk, considering God has given us all the Bible, don't you think? But how he got there is there is a twofold relationship in operation here. There is a person that is looking for their destiny. Hmm. So first step, make sure you're looking for... By the way, how did things work out for Saul? Yeah, not so well. Um, he ended up, well, acting in unbelief and, uh, and disobeyed God. And God ended up ripping the kingdom away from him and giving it to David. Are you familiar with this concept? And then there is a man whom God have already given that destiny to. Ah, so you got to. So step number one is you need to be looking for your destiny, and then God's going to give it to a man to give to you. Now, why would why would God word it like that? And I don't want to really jump ahead of myself here, but I got. 
Yeah, well, it's like you're telegraphing your punch because, I mean, it's so clear what you're doing here. You're narcissistically twisting this text. I say this. God began to reveal to me by way of prayer. Mm, God's now talking directly to Juanita Byron, which means if you're uh, questioning her or challenging her and um, don't agree with her the way the things I'm doing right now, that clearly you're doing the work of the devil. And uh, and you are coming against God, the Holy Spirit, who spoke this directly to her, you know. That there are no original anointings. When I say that... Okay, so God revealed to you that there's no original anointings. Okay, did you catch that? Now, does, does any of this sound like it might apply to a segment we did earlier today? Think back to the Supernatural Savants segment that we did today... We're not those uh, good old boys uh, from that apostolic training, equipping, prophetic center. Um, Weren't they talking about new anointings and new things? I mean, the new model of prophets coming out. And God, the Holy Spirit, apparently spoke to Juanita Bynum saying that there's no original, no new anointings. Hmm. Well, well, we've got a problem here. Okay. They're, both people are claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God the Holy Spirit. So our options are logically this. One, one of them is not hearing from God the Holy Spirit. That's one option because, you know, one's telling us one thing and the other's telling us the exact opposite and both things can't be true at the same time now, can they? Or two, now this is option number two, neither of them are actually hearing from God the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are those are pretty much your only options. One's hearing from them, the other is not, or neither of them are hearing from God the Holy Spirit. By the way, I'm going to go with option B, that neither of them are hearing from God the Holy Spirit. Let's continue. When I look across the country in my travel, and since the Lord has begun to usher me into another place in Him. Mm, yeah, you see, I mean, it isn't weird. Who's she preaching about? Yeah, she's preaching about herself. See, listen, she is, she's got such an inside track with God the Holy Spirit that God is not only revealing things to her that I mean no one has ever heard this stuff before. But now God's ushering her into a whole another level. Oh, she's so important, you know. I I in fact, if I ever find myself in the presence of Juanita Bynum, I'll be sure to take my sandals that were my shoes off because I'm sure the ground I'll be standing on is holy ground, you know? I began to recognize all of the people that are in the body of Christ that are panting for a place in God, panting for a place in ministry, looking for divine destinies. Then God began to show me in the spirit that there are no original anointings, which means if you are a preacher, a prophet, a teacher, an evangelist, and an intercessor, you didn't just get that in prayer. That anointing had to be passed down. Oh my God. I'm glad y'all shouted because y'all ain't going to shout when I get through tonight. I can tell you that right now. Uh-huh. Okay, so that those specific anointings, they're not original and they had to be passed down. What about the supernatural savant anointing? I mean, that seems kind of new, you know what I mean? That anointing had to be passed down from somebody else by way of submission. In other words, God had to 
to speak to somebody concerning your life and be willing to submit the anointing that is upon their life to put that anointing upon your life that you may be an extension of who they are. Not your not your own call, but the call of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So let me see if I got this right. So no original anointings. Uh, somebody has an anointing, and then I'm supposed to submit to them, and they'll uh, put their their anointing over my life. But it's not mine; it's theirs. Hmm. What biblical passage says this? Yeah, no, no, not First Samuel nine. Doesn't say this at all. Yeah, she's seeing things in this text that ain't there. Oh, that's right. She had a direct revelation from God regarding the inspiration of this. Uh, interpretation. I see. Now, see, you're not going to get a whole lot of amens right there because because everybody now wants to be a wonder. Everybody's looking for my turn in the ministry. And when I look around at the body of Christ, what I see in the spirit, and please excuse the way that I say this, what I see in the in the realm of the spirit is a bunch of bastards in the spirit that have no spiritual fathers, that have no spiritual mothers. My God, you cannot track your record where you came from, but everybody wants to be somebody, and you're not going to be nothing unless somebody places the You're not ever going to be somebody unless somebody places the call of God on your life. Now, what I'm going to do here, you kind of get the flavor of where this particular message is going. And I want to make sure I get enough context on the front end of this. I'm going to fast forward a little bit because I want you to hear where where this is going to end up. Well, actually, it's, this isn't the finale, but I mean, this kind of gives you an idea where she's going. Hmm, so I need to submit to somebody if I want to be somebody. And there's no original anointings. It's somebody else who's giving their anointing to me because I've got to submit to that person of God. And, of course, that would be men like Rod Parsley, who she's preaching for here. Um, and, you know, and you know, prophetesses like, you know, Juanita Bynum and people like that. Okay, seems kind of self-absorbed. But uh, let's fast forward a little bit and see what other damage she's going to be wreaking in the name of direct revelation from God the Holy Spirit. Here we go. An inheritance. What do I mean by that? So look at you, you 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 you've been with Pastor Prophecy a long time. Every time I come I see you. Now I'm, I'm watching you and your wife and your ministering. Yeah that's right. She's preaching for Rod Parsley, the um the heretic who fleeces the body of Christ on television. Going forth. But when I look at you, the way you praise God resembles your past. Y'all ain't saying that. Have you ever wondered why you got a lot of folk in your church that are members of your church? They don't look like you. They don't act like you. They don't even have your spirit. I'm not getting nobody to say nothing. Have you ever wondered why you preach for years and years and years and people act, Lord, I'm going I'm to I'm leave that alone. I'm going to leave that alone. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's not the first time she's said that during this quote-unquote sermon. So she's feigning like she's not going to say what she's re- receiving from the Holy Spirit. You know, so, so the people say, no, please say it. Please tell us. 
I got to do this. I got to do this. All right. So she's finally found the intestinal fortitude to speak forth this direct revelation she's receiving from the Holy Spirit. I got to do this. Oh, finally, we're saved. God, I need somebody to start praying for me because I got to do this. king this has nothing to do with christianity or things like that at least in the sense that she's talking about here she's equating saul with a pastor yeah he's the king of israel the, the different office the pastoral office is different than the office of king how are you over here preaching let me correct you i don't care if you over here in texas and you are running a mighty revival and the power of God falling and folk getting saved. Were you sent there? See, because, watch this, we do, this, this, this right here is a spirit that is taking over the church. I feel in my spirit. I got a witness. I put your witness to sleep. That's why God gave you a father. That's why he gave you a pastor. Yeah, don't don't be ex- you know whatever you do, don't say anything uh, that without the authority and approval of your pastor. Now this is kind of weird for me to be listening to for this very reason, and that is as well. I'm a pastor, and um, I don't ever see in that in the duties of the pastoral office that people need to come to me to get approval that if they want to share the gospel with somebody. You know what I'm saying? Now, granted, if they want to teach in the congregation where I'm the pastor, I mean, yes, I need to, I need to actually sit down and have a conversation with them and uh, and decide whether or not they the message they're bringing to us is actually the biblical gospel and things like that. Yeah, there's things like that, but that's kind of under the category of protecting the sheep, not ruling over them. I'm not getting nobody to say nothing because I don't care what God is leading you to do. If your pastor do not approve of it, you Really? So if my pastor doesn't approve of something, I can't go, but I'm a pastor. Weird. I feel lame. No, you feel like sitting down. Well, Pastor, I think you're wrong. The devil is a liar. God ain't never told you to check your pastor. God ain't never gave you permission to correct the man of God. Oh, I'm gonna Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Uh-huh, so we can't ever correct a pastor. Well, who knew? Apparently they're little deities and, you know, you can't correct them. Lord Jesus! Lord, Pastor, I want to talk to you because I'm offended by something you did. How dare you? How dare you? You still wet behind your ears. You are a dumb sheep. How dare you sit in the man of God's office telling him what you don't like about him? How dare you do that? You are a dumb sheep. How dare you? Wow. 
That is some wolf talk right there. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. And the sad part is these people are clapping and applauding this. God, you told me to do this. Oh, yeah. God told her to do this. Uh-huh. I don't think so. The Apostle Paul, you ever heard of the Bereans? Yeah, by the way. In fact, I'll just kind of end with this thought, at least end the first hour. In uh, the book of Acts, yeah, it, we have the story of Paul and him going to Berea. Mm-hmm. It's in Acts chapter 17. Things didn't go so well for him in Thessalonica, by the way. Um, yeah, there were some people there who were very upset with the message that Paul was preaching. You know, that Jesus is the Messiah who was raised from the dead, crucified for our sins, that kind of thing. And so uh, he had to kind of slink out of uh, Thessalonica. And here's what it says, uh, Acts chapter 17, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, by night. Otherwise, he'd be dead. Yeah, by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word of God with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Yeah, the Apostle Paul didn't take this thing. Hey, listen, there's no unique anointings. I have an apostolic anointing, and, you know, I'm the man of God, and you're just dumb sheep, and how dare you question me? No, it says they had a more noble character because they actually examined the Word of God daily to see if Paul, yeah, that would be the Apostle Paul's message, was actually from God. Yeah, I think you kind of get the idea what's going wrong there with Juanita Bynum. Yeah, yeah. Direct revelation from God? No. Heretic Bible twister? Yes. Wolf in sheep's clothing? Yes. In fact, her sheep suit seems to be, uh, well, you know. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Strange sermon. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean metachlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two! Get in! Run!
Never fear, nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. All I gotta say is, why is it that uh, the people who claim to be hearing from God the Holy Spirit, they have no clue how to handle God's Word? It's it's the weirdest thing. It's as if they're not telling us the truth. Which I think is kind of the point, if you know what I mean. Alright, let's do this right. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon uh, comes to us via the Piercing the Darkness Prophetic Conference. Mark Sharona presiding. The name of the message we will be hearing is entitled, If It Wants to Happen, It Needs to Be Spoken. And there's so much wrong with this message that I don't even begin to know how to explain it to you ahead of time. This is like heresy running in a bunch of different directions. You know, they, they talk about herding cats. Yeah, this is <laughs> the, the equivalent of discernment herding of cats. I mean, he's releasing every heretical cat known to man, claiming direct revelation, words of knowledge, while twisting God's word, saying things about the new age... And claiming stuff that I've only heard people from the emergent church claiming. It's utterly fascinating, depressing, and scary all at the same time. Again, the warning that we planned at the beginning of the first hour is still in effect. Just want to let you know that if you're driving heavy, deadly equipment, listening to the sermon could endanger your physical being. So let me go ahead and kill the music. And without any further ado, here's Mark Sharona. If it wants to happen, it needs to be spoken. Here we go. I want to talk to you tonight uh, uh, under this theme. If it wants to happen, it needs to be spoken. Would you say that? No. And by the way, this uh, prophetic conference took place at Bethel in Redding, California. That's right, where Bill Johnson holds sway. Say it again. One more time. Okay, now let me just give you some background for where I'm going. Um, the Cannon Residential at Coventry Cathedral, the College of George at Windsor in England, died in November 2009 at the age of 90. His name was Stephen Verney. And I've got a number of Stephen's books that he wrote between 1975 and the late 1980s. And um, Stephen Verney was a brilliant scholar, and I want you to think about this for a minute. As one of the heads of the Anglican Church in England, Stephen Verney, as a theologian, spent his whole life 
in one book of the Bible, the Gospel of John. One book gave his whole life to mining the treasures of about this much of Scripture. Can you imagine that, you know, we have CDs, compressed discs, or courtesy drops if you're around Benny. Oh, that's a bad, bad joke, bad joke. He really is my friend. Benny and I love each other. We appreciate each other. Uh, but I want you to think about the fact that the Word of God, written by the Spirit of God, is inexhaustible in what's there. And while it's all been written, it has not all been revealed. You can read it and master it as a body of knowledge simply from an intellectual, theological perspective. But it doesn't mean the light will go on and show you what's hidden in the Word. And because Christ is infinite, and because He wrote this by way of the Spirit, this book is infinite in the riches that are there. And so there is far more here than we have yet to see. Which is why when we approach it, our posture needs to be, God, I am so hungry. Now, this is the setup, because he's going to be uh, giving us insights into the Bible, uh, the biblical passages. It will, the insights are not actually there. That's all kind of the cover that he's going to... So the, these new insights are... The, he's plumbing the depths like this, this Verney guy. Uh-huh. For the bread of heaven, open the book to me. Open the book. And, and Stephen Verney spent his whole life gloriously lost in the Gospel of John. And when you read his insights to just even little verbs and the way they're parsed and out of the lips of Jesus, you, you can just have church all by yourself. I'm serious. And, and he, 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 makes in, he makes some insights about... Jesus and the Samaritan woman that are relevant to where I'm going as it relates to Elijah prophetically and where I think we're moving in the days that lie ahead. Jesus at one point in the conversation with the Samaritan woman says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Verney goes into the Greek and says, we do a disservice to the body of Christ when we don't tell them what that really is saying when it says welling up to eternal life. Because it literally means there will be an inner spring of zoe ionios. Zoe is the word for the life of God. Ionios is the word for age. A life of the age to come, which is now the timeless present. And what Verney says is that the coming of the Spirit is the life of the new age. The only people on the planet that have a right to really call themselves new agers are 
are the redeemed, blood-bought, spirit-filled company of the elect of God because they have entered into the age of the Spirit. Okay, now I'm going to do a little correcting here because I happen to read Greek. Um, yeah, this is this is a fast one that Mark Sharona is pulling. Okay, the water. This is a Gospel of John chapter four, verse fourteen. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Yeah, the uh, it's Ionios, uh, actually Ionion. The we're looking at the uh, singular accusative uh, form of Ionios. It is not. It is not saying age. It is not saying into the life of the age. Nah, zoe ionion, eternal life, life eternal. This is what it says. He's saying ionion as as if somehow it's talking about aeons or ages, but that's not what this text says. I don't know if Verney is the one who wrote this down or not, but I can guarantee you, as one who reads Greek, it says welling up to eternal life. Life. It doesn't say anything about it, the life of the new age. He's pulling a fast one. That's why when you look at the stars, they tell a story. And the constellations that move through the heavens declare the eternal purpose of God. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Which is why that just prior to Jesus going to the cross at Passover. The constellation that was high in the sky was the ram bent over. Now listen to this. This is astrology. This is not Christian theology that you're hearing here. And sacrificed and slaughtered. And... On the day they were to have the Passover, Jesus sends John and Peter to the village opposite them. And he says, when you enter the village, you're going to see a man carrying a water jar. He gives them a word of knowledge, but it's really not that hard because men didn't carry water jars in Jesus' day. Only women did. So to see a man carrying a water jar doesn't fit the context of the prevailing paradigm of what should, ought, or must be. And so you need to ask yourself, why is that which follows the ram in the course of the heavens Aquarius? The man with the water jar with fish coming out. Of the water. Yeah, that's right. So here he's twisted uh, John chapter 4, the, you know, a, a well leading to eternal life, into eternal life is what it says. Now we're doing uh, Christian astrology, talking about the man with the water jar and following the ram, you know, Aries and the, wow. Yeah, huh? Believe me when I tell you, it doesn't get any better from here. It's really downhill from here. We continue. Water jar. Because what follows Passover and the sacrifice of the Lamb was prophesied by John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, There comes one after me who is mightier than I am. The thong of whose sandal 
I am not worthy to untie. I baptize you in water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. He goes all the way past Calvary, all the way to the day of Pentecost, and he says the real reason he's come is to get you to where the kingdom can be inaugurated in the earth by the indwelling presence of the man with the water jar. The new age of the Spirit. By the way, I need to obey God. Your name again, brother? Uh, yeah, this, oh, I need to obey God. He's getting a direct download from God as we speak, and yet he's engaging in astrology and Bible twisting. You think if he was getting a direct download from God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit would be saying, knock it off and rightly handle my word. You're teaching falsely. Now, there was a day in the history of the nation of Israel when David brought the ark up to Zion. And he appointed Levites to minister in their courses 24 hours a day. And while they were ministering, back in Gibeah where the tabernacle was, there was no glory, there was no ark, but the sons of Zadok had to stay faithful to ministering where there was no glory and there was no ark. And there came a day when the Levites failed in their duties in the house of the Lord. And the king said, bring me the sons of Zadok. They've been faithful where there was no glory. Now bring them up to Zion and let them serve in place of the Levites whose priesthood has failed. You have been in a region and in a place where you have had to serve even at seasons when there's been no glory. But there's a radical shift taking place in the heavens over your metron and measure of rule. And those who have abused the privilege and taken for granted the presence of the glory are being removed. And God is going to say, you're a son of Zadok, a son of righteousness. I am moving you from the place you were to a position in the immediacy of God's glory. And you will become a prophetic teaching priest. And when you speak, the doors of the house will be opened and the river of God is going to flow and issue forth from the glory and you are going to see a religious spirit that has held people captive for over two and a half centuries collapse before your eyes in the coming days. And uh, if we were to diagram those sentences, would they make any sense? I don't think so. So, so Verney, Verney makes a point about the fact that, that we are living in the new age of the Spirit, in the powers of the age to come, in the now, in the timeless present. But I want you to listen to what he says, and this is in 1975. He's writing this in 1975, and I'm standing here telling you in 2012, this is a word that he looked down the corridor of time, and though he's dead, he still speaks. He said these words, there's a renaissance, a reformation, a break with hierarchical superiors coming upon us. We are on the edge of a new epoch, a discovery of interdependence. We are approaching an evolutionary leap forward in the realm of the spirit. Some and just because Verney said this doesn't mean anything. Who's Verney? Where in the scripture does it say this? 
because you're quoting him as the guy who says in John 4.14 that Jesus says, you know, whoever drinks this water out of him will come life into the ages. That's not what it says. It says eternal life. Something has been evolving in the earth in the last 50 years. And the reason that's significant, even secularists are endeavoring to describe the major shifts taking place globally. When I was in college, we had to read Alvin Toffler on the third wave. And Toffler, in talking about the third wave, basically says, well, the fact is we are now in the third wave of history, which means there was a second wave and a first wave. The first wave, he says, was the agricultural age, and it lasted for about 5,500 years on this planet. The majority of the planet for 5,500 years was predominantly an agricultural culture. And then the second wave came with the dawn of the Renaissance and the Catholic Church commissioning scientists not to keep using alchemy the way pagans did, but to discover chemistry. And with that study, there were breakthroughs in technology which gave birth to the Industrial Revolution second wave. First wave, agricultural, 5,500 years. Second wave, industrial revolution between 250 and 300 years. First wave, how long? 5,500. Second wave? And at the end of the second wave, Alvin Toffler said, in the early 1960s, we entered into the digital age or the information age. And everything shifted again. To which I say, so what? Jesus said, go... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Yeah, the the age that we're in is the age of grace, if you would. The age of the new covenant. There hasn't been a new shift or a change in the age. Jesus is with us and the Great Commission stands until he returns uh, for his second advent. This argument that he's making isn't based upon a biblical argument. It's based upon some parallel to history. And you know who I've heard make this exact same argument? Brian McLaren, Tony Jones, Doug Padgett, Phyllis Tickle of the Emergent Church Movement, all of those guys make the same argument to justify the weird theology that they were preaching and teaching because, oh, we're in this new age of the Spirit, and this is all part of the new thing that God's doing. Yeah, the the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints, Jude says. And he said the information age in proportion wouldn't even last anywhere near what the other two did. And when the clock struck midnight in January of 2010, all the secular futurists said the digital age is over. First wave, 5,500 years. Second wave, between 250 and 300 years. Third wave, 50 years. And they began to say, we have entered into a decade of rapid 
accelerated, unprecedented change, and we are about to take evolutionary leaps and global shifts. These are secularists. Not evolutionary leaps and global shifts, huh? Okay, uh, yeah, humanity is still the same. Born dead in trespasses and sins in need of a Savior need to be brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. How come you're not preaching that? The word evolutionary can be positive and not negative. So I'm not using it in a derogatory sense or in a sense that would get us nervous. And they're saying that this age is called the shift age. And it will last for a decade. It will only last for a decade. First wave, 5,500 years. Second wave, about 300. Third wave, about 50. Fourth wave, a decade. I want to say, Amos, you were right. The day is coming when the plowman is overtaking the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. We are coming into the overlapping of the ages and the waves and secular history is still under the hand of God. And every 500 years, God has a rummage sale. Yeah, I heard Phyllis Tickle say that exact same thing in her book on the emergence. But it's not taught in Scripture. Where in Scripture does it say every 500 years God has a rummage sale? This is a story that you're telling people to justify the unjustifiable as far as your doctrine and the nonsense you're spewing. And he takes out the stuff that is getting in the way of where he wants to go. And so when Verney says in 1975, there's a renaissance, a reformation, a break with hierarchical superiors coming upon us. We're on the edge of a new epoch, a discovery of interdependence. We're approaching an evolutionary leap forward in the spirit. He's basing it on a conversation that took place two millennia ago between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. Because a radical shift was taking place in the conversation. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. Jesus is sitting on Jacob's well. So he has found in hostile territory common ground with another culture. He's making a shift. And he sits there... That's called eisegesis, by the way. So he tells the story about, oh, the rummage sale and the shifting and the age of the Spirit and all this kind of stuff. And now he goes back to the text in uh, John 4, uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, and he's engaging in what's called eisegesis. He's reading something into the text that's not there. This is Bible-twisting of a supreme nature, a supremely bad nature. We continue. On the well himself a well. So there's a well on the well, and it's midday. Women don't come out in the midday to get water unless there's something not quite kosher in their life. She comes up at midday. They begin to have a conversation. You know the story. And he says to her, give me a drink. 
And she begins to tell him that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Plus, she's a woman, he's a man. This is not appropriate. And he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you a wellspring that brings you into the life of the new age of the Spirit. And she says, yeah, you just twisted God's word again into the new age of the spirit. That is not what Jesus said into eternal life. Zoe, Zoe, Ionion. That's what it says. You are twisting God's word badly. I want some. And he says, okay, go call your husband. She says, uh... I don't have a husband. He says, it's true. You've had five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Are you a prophet? <laughs> and she said, so she switches the conversation. But Jesus doesn't get ruffled by her moving the conversation in a different direction. He just flows with her. And she says, our fathers say, we should worship at this mountain. But your fathers say... You should worship at that mountain. And Jesus says, watch this. Because something is shifting even as he's talking. An hour is coming when they that worship the Father shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such does the Father seek to be worshippers. Salvation is from the Jews. And then he goes on to say, within a matter of seconds, an hour is coming And now is. He has crossed a threshold and has penetrated a window of opportunity and made a shift. Now watch, because I know he's the son of God, but he didn't do anything he did in his earthly responsibility by virtue of his attributes as the Son of God. Everything he did, he did as Mary's boy, under the government and the aegis of the Holy Spirit, in obedience to that which was coming to him, which means he had to grow in faith. Uh, what? Which passage actually says that? You just extrapolated that from your brain and some weird premises that you came up with. I'll let you think about that. And he steps into a zone and he can sense something is shifting. He says, an hour is coming. Da, 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 da. And then a few seconds later, an hour is coming and now is. And at that point, not only has he entered, he's imparted it to her. What? The text doesn't say anything about imparting something to her. Good night. Let's take a look at that text, by the way, and uh, let's put it back in its context because he's reading stuff into it that just isn't there. John chapter 4. 
Starting in verse 1, now when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Yeah, Jews and Samaritans don't talk. Men and women don't talk like this, not in public. So, I mean, talk about two strikes, right? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to her, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life, not to the age of this whatever. It's to eternal life. So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, the Jews, worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now that's the important part here. Spirit and in truth. Isn't it interesting, all these people claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God the Holy Spirit... Oh, they claim to be receiving, oh, direct utterances from the Spirit, but they're not preaching the truth. Spirit and truth, the two go together. You can't separate them. So the woman said to him, well, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Get that. Jesus reveals that he's the Messiah directly to a Gentile Samaritan woman. Uh-huh. So just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and, and said to the people, come to see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ, the Messiah? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, oh, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, 
So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored that you have entered in and you have entered into their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Yes, that's right. The Samaritans confess that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. Uh Uh-huh. So that's what this text is about. It's about Jesus and their confession that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And, of course, this is the thesis sentence of of the Gospel of John, which is at the end of the Gospel that says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. There you go. We continue. He has not only seized that moment... In his own journey of destiny, he now so effectively imparts it to her that she runs back to town and says, I just met a man that changed my life. He's the Messiah of Israel. He's the, he's, 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 he's the, he's the son of David, and you all need to come and see him. And the whole city comes out because she has received an impartation that has put her into the new age. Uh, again, this is... Bible twisting, you're engaging in eisegesis. No, there's nothing in there about her receiving an impartation. The the person she received was Jesus, and she confesses him to be the Savior of the world, along with the other people in her town. Just by one addition of a word, and now is. Jesus was so keenly aware not only of the timing, but of the fact that if it was going to happen, it had to be spoken. And when he... What? He speaks it. He ushers it in, and she gets it, and her whole life shifts, and she has now changed places. And she is now in the age of the Spirit. Do not underestimate how powerful your words are when you are conscious of the timing of God in a conversation. Uh, What? Where are you getting any of this? How powerful my words are? Wow, talk about a hard turn and a change of subject. Because when we talk about Kairos moments, the root of the Kairos experience from a Greek perspective happens in a conversation. The window opens in a conversation, and whoever is doing the speaking, they recognize this is the moment. They seize it when it happens. And can I tell you? Kairos moments open windows in heaven. But you don't need a huge window to get a blast of the blessing of God. Uh, what? 
yeah, I have no idea where he's getting any of this. I mean, oh, that's right. He's getting direct revelation. I mean, again, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. He He's claiming to have the spirit, uh, but there's no truth in the words he's saying. The window can be open just a cubic centimeter. But the real spiritual warrior is so awake, so alert, and so aware that they can recognize in their spirit the slightest opening and realize that when it opens, even if it just opens that much, I have an opportunity to pierce and penetrate through into the invisible and reach in there and bring out what wants to emerge. And if it wants to happen, it needs to be. Oh, yeah, this is just creepy weird now. Spoken. And so this leap into the age of the spirit is marked by a few things. And we've been hearing about it the last three days. The first is, it's marked by a shift in our interior identity. Something changes inside us about the way we perceive ourselves. When you change the way you view the world, the world you view changes. But when you change the way you view yourself... You change. And when you change, the world is up for grabs and the future is now about what wants to emerge that's been waiting for the shift to take place in me. Yeah, it sounds like what's wanting to emerge from you is something demonic. Are you breathing? And this leap is not just marked by a shift in our interior identity... It's also marked by an awareness that everything in creation is connected. Everything in creation is connected. Say everything's connected. And it's connected at deep interpenetrating levels at a subatomic dimension. Our problem is we walk in the illusion of separation. But we are not separate. We're connected. When Paul says we are all one body in Christ in Galatians 4, literally in the Greek, it's we're all one person. I'm going to do what Bill does. I'm going to just see if somebody over here just wants to process what I just said. Or Chris says, that was a good word. One of the major British quantum physical professors right now alive, Brian something or other, just did a major BBC broadcast with what would be the Hollywood elite of Britain sitting around in a TV studio. They broadcast it live. The ratings were off the charts. You can see it on YouTube. And he was postulating on how quantum science has proven that everything in the universe is connected. And... He had in his hand a a diamond, a rather beautiful diamond, sizable. And while he's talking about everything's connected, he's rubbing the diamond. And it's getting hot. He's creating friction. And while he's creating friction, he's letting them know, while you can't see it, 
I'm moving the subatomic particles right now. I'm influencing them. And even though this appears to be solid, it's not as solid as it appears because things are not the way they appear. Because what's happening at an invisible level is more important than what you're seeing at a visible level. And he said, but what you need to realize is that the furthest star in our universe has been discovered and it's five billion light years away. But right now, while I'm stirring up the subatomic particles in this diamond, it is having an effect in the invisible world on the molecular movement of that star, five billion miles, five billion light years away. So when Jesus says, I'll go with you to heal your son, and the centurion servant says, you don't have to go. You can stand right where you are. I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. You don't have to come into my house for my son. All you need to do is stand right here and influence things at a distance because everything's connected in your world in a way that I understand in mind. Just speak the word and, and it'll take place because it's all connected. So stay with me. This is all introduction. I'll get really fast when we get to the text. There's a shift in our interior identity. There's got to be a fundamental shift to where we stop seeing everything as separated and disconnected and start operating in the awareness everything is connected. Everything's connected. You start acting as if you're already connected to your future and stuff will start lining up in a way you never expected it to before. Stop seeing yourself as disconnected from the very thing. Do you understand that, that Solomon says, trust in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus says, whatsoever you desire. When you pray, believe you've already received it and you'll have it. When so out of context passages, without paying attention to what's going on, these are the root of the word of faith heresy, which is, well, say, shall we say it this way, firmly cemented to the uh, charismatic movement in many ways. When you pray, believe you've already received it. Now, for, for me, I've always taken that pray and then believe you've received it. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying when you approach prayer... Approach it from a perspective that you're already connected to what you're asking for and pray in that awareness. Because if you'll pray in that awareness, you'll have the very thing. Because I want to give you the desire of your heart. Can I tell you what I think desire is? Desire, by the time it gets from the heart of the Father into your heart and passes out of the eternal into your heart, it's the foreknowledge of God reduced down to the human capability of getting a hunch of what wants to happen and it shows up in your heart as desire. And desire means something is missing. And if something is missing, it has to exist. You can't miss something that doesn't exist. If it's missing, it has to exist. And if you're missing something, if it's your desire and you are missing it, it is missing you. And it is waiting for you to let it know it's all right for it to emerge in your life. 
uh, are you breathing? And so in this shift, not only does our interior identity shift, and not only do we make a shift that all things are connected, as a result, we discover that we are interdependent. I can't get into my future without you. You can't get into your future without me. We need each other. We're not independent. We're interdependent because we're all connected. And at that level, we start corporately experiencing the presence of the risen Christ. What I mean by that is that when we come together... This guy sure does spew a lot of stuff without any passages, just spinning it out of the top of his little brain. It sounds so reasonable. It sounds so pious. But every time he opens up God's word, he twists it, claims direct revelation from God. This is all nonsense. We're no longer 3,500 separate intelligences. Something happens as we begin to glorify him from a place of connectedness. And we operate now as a single intelligence. We operate. And biblical passages for this, please. Oh, yeah, you don't have any. As if we're all seeing the same thing, saying the same thing, because we're all hearing the same thing. Are you breathing? I used to say, are you there? And I stopped because I was in a church in New Jersey, and the place was packed, and off to my left there was a young boy about eight years old with his mama sitting on the end, And I kept saying, are you there? And the people said, yes. And finally, when I said, are you there? The little boy said out loud, Mama, is that preacher blind? (laughs) And so I don't say, are you there anymore? (laughs) Watch, watch. And with those shifts, interior identity, everything's connected, and creation is dynamically alive and taking its cues from the body of believers that have been called to restore God's original intention because all of creation is groaning for us to come into our own because when we come into our own, creation begins to operate the way it was intended to operate. Are you with me? Not only am I not with you, I'm going to challenge that because the earth is un, is groaning, waiting for the sons, you know, those sons of righteousness to appear, uh, in subject to futility and frustration until Christ's return. What you're saying is contradicted by Scripture. So, when let, let me let me just lay this foundation, then we're going to go right into the the, the moment on Mount Carmel. Commitment in this new age of the Spirit is not whatever it takes to get it done. How many of you have ever read all the success books on, if you really want to achieve your goal, make a list of all the things you got to do, and then be willing to commit to all of them? Throw it out. It's got nothing to do with the tree of life. It's all from the wrong tree. You want to know what commitment is in the new covenant, in the age of the Spirit? It's not whatever it takes. Do it. If it's a list of 35 things, be committed to do it all. No, it's whatever he says to you. Do it. 
See, because you can't turn water into wine. But he can take time out of the equation, and since seeds require water to germinate, he can just say, fill the water pots with water, draw some out, and take it to the head waiter. And between filling the water pots with water and taking it to the head waiter, he has gone through seed sowing, harvest, the germination of the grapes, uh, the, 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 the fermenting of the, of the grapes, and you haven't even seen it, but when the lips of the head waiter connect, with the fact that you just did what he told you to do, he took time out of the equation, and it happened because you were committed to simply doing what he told you to do. Uh, yeah, no. Um, none of the mechanics of Jesus' miracle are actually mentioned in the text. You're putting them in there. Uh-huh. And the uh, how it happened or why it happened, yeah, that's not in there. At least the, the explanation you gave ain't in the biblical text either. Yeah, spirit and truth. You're not speaking the truth, so you're not hearing from God the Holy Spirit. We continue. How did the water turn to wine? Jesus talked it into existence. There are things that want to emerge right now in your life, in my life, in the nations. And uh, yeah, things that want to emerge. But of course, you know, they, they want to emerge, but you've got to speak it if, if they're going to emerge. Yeah, one major problem, though, um, the text doesn't say that Jesus spoke the wine into existence now, does it? You've just inserted that into the text again. And you and I are called to be the midwives in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to bring to birth not what we make up, but what we intuitively recognize as the next thing on God's agenda. And okay, this is just crazy. What we intuitively recognize as what the big thing, next thing is on God's agenda where in the Bible does it say that Christians are going to intuitively recognize the next big thing on God's agenda and we're going to be its midwives? Again, the heretical cats are going all over the place. Hurting them is quite the task. And unless there's somebody in the earthly arena that can seize that moment and penetrate into the invisible and birth it in the visible, it... Penetrate into the invisible and birth it, huh? Yeah. Sounds difficult. It doesn't happen because if it wants to happen it needs to be spoken you need to remember that paul said in 1 corinthians 3 21 22 and 23 the future belongs to you yeah can i see that in context please because every time you've even touched a biblical text you've mangled it Let me just say it again. The future belongs to you. You know that song, Tomorrow Belongs to Me? Church needs to start singing it and believing it. The future belongs to you. Because you have been given the authority to co-labor with the Holy Spirit 
and operate in synergy with heaven and bring to birth what wants to emerge because you have sensed it by the desire that keeps coming up in your heart. You wouldn't desire it if it didn't want to happen. Yeah, I can think of a lot of desires that I have that ought not happen because they're sinful. You know what I'm saying here? Really? So just because I have a desire, does that mean it comes from God, the Holy Spirit? Intention is the missing ingredient that turns desire into reality. Intention will move your current reality to your desired reality and close the gap between the two because intention is a state of heart and mind that carries a sense of purpose and a forward direction. Intention embeds a projection on your mind as it relates to the moving of the future into the present moment. Intention has to do with interconnection with others. God built your brain in such a way that right now neurobiologists are discovering things about the brain they've not ever known before. And they have discovered that intention in others is perceived at the most basic levels of life. They've proven this. Babies know the intention of their caregivers and interact accordingly to their intentions because they can't understand their language. Babies are wired to pick up on your intention. Your brain can detect intentionality from birth. I'm going somewhere. Intending is related to anticipating. Bob this afternoon was talking to us about Bible hope which is desire married to expectation. Expectation is about anticipation. Intending is related to anticipating. What you intend, you anticipate. Anticipation is different from planning. Planning is not the same thing as anticipating because anticipating, they've proven, anticipation primes the brain to seize moments of opportunity that wouldn't be recognized otherwise. He spends a lot of time just pulling in all kinds of subterfuge, but none of this has to do with what the Bible teaches. Isn't that weird? Huh. We continue. Proven. In anticipation, the brain primes itself for the next immediate now. We live in the now of God. Anticipation prepares you for the next kairos moment that wants to emerge and present itself to you from the world of heaven. Intention is about creating your own texture for anticipating the immediate next that wants to emerge in your life. It's the stuff of faith. Now, let me get into this thing so we can understand it. You ready? Elijah has spent... Three and a half years waiting for a moment. He's already turned the water off when nobody was looking. And you have to understand that from the jump street, when he stands in the presence of Ahab and Jezebel, he says, Thus saith the Lord. 
It shall not rain, nor there shall there be dew in these years except by my word. In other words, I am the chief meteorologist and I am the weatherman. And they look at him like he's crazy. Until. Everybody say until. Because something happens. Elijah, after he calls down fire from heaven, says to Ahab, Go up, for I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. For three and a half years, he's been waiting for something inside him to come to fruition because he knows he can make it rain. And you have to understand that as the prophet of God, with the heart of God, or probably many times... He knows he can make it rain? He No. That God is the one who said that the rain would come when he said. He has a promise from God. Who's the one who brings the rain? God is. Not Elijah. Times he wanted it to rain before that moment. But things had to be aligned both in the invisible and the visible for that to come to fruition. And there comes... Really, where does it talk about this uh, alignment between the visible and invisible for it to become to fruition? Which biblical text actually says that? Not one. A moment where Elijah says, Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for I have heard the sound of an abundance of rain. Where did Elijah hear the rain? It wasn't out here. He heard something in here. Faith comes by and hearing by. Uh uh. See, we all quote it that way, but that's not what it says in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So Elijah heard the rain uh, through the word of Christ, and that's, oh, this is utter nonsense. This is what it says in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by a rhema from Christ. That's a lot more specific than a word from God. Man, hang on a second here. We're going to check the Greek. Um... Romans ten seventeen. Let's take a look. Faith comes from hearing. Arapistus ek ekoe right through the through the word of Christ. It doesn't say the rhema of Christ. The, the, what he's just yeah. It, I'm sorry. He just didn't translate the the word rhema. It's faith comes from hearing and hearing through dia. Rematas Christu, through the word of Christ. Yeah, he's twisting God's word again. Surprise. How many of you are the elect of God? Where is Christ? Christ is in you. 
the hope of glory. So where are you going to hear him from? So where is faith going to come from? Something you hear that wants to emerge from within you. Oh, that's horrible. That is absolutely blasphemous. How do we hear the word of Christ when somebody preaches the gospel? That's what Romans 10, 17 means. In fact, I mean, that's kind of the whole point of Romans chapter 10. Let me read it to you. Um, you know, for scripture says, verse 11, for scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Romans 10, 11. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. Well, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Yeah, that's right. Nothing about something burbling up from within your belly. It's talking about the preaching of the gospel. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do we hear the word of Christ? Through a preacher preaching the gospel, the written word of God. That's how. Yeah, what uh, Mark Sharona is engaging in here is so blasphemous and so deceitful on so many levels that the only right word to describe it is demonic. That's exactly what this is. You're not going to hear him out here. He's in here. This is the Holy of Holies. The cherubim are in here. Are you listening to me? I'm not saying literally the cherubim are in here. You know what I'm saying. You need to understand, if Christ is in you, and faith comes by hearing a rhema, a living word uttered by a living voice, yes, it can happen while you're reading the scriptures. You think it's jumping off the page, but it's jumping in your heart. How many of you have ever put on a headset? And the headset, while you're listening to music, you think it's all around you. You're not hearing it all around you. You're hearing it in here. Surround sound is taking place in here. So when they invented technologically something called surround sound in theaters, they were copying the inner workings of what God built into your temple. So when Samuel is lying in the presence of the ark, and God says, Samuel, Samuel, he can't tell where the voice is coming from because it sounds like it's all around him. So he goes in the direction of the most familiar voice he knows, which is his mentor, Eli. And here's the thing. When God talks to you in Christ, he's talking to you from in here. And faith is going to come from you hearing what wants to emerge from the inside out. Utterly blasphemous. This is deceitful beyond all reason. Stay with me. Stay with me. See, because that's... The, and that's why, that's why it's so important to soak. Do, do you know that when God allowed the glory to come down on Sinai in Exodus 25, after the 70 elders had gone halfway up the mountain with Moses and they beheld God and they ate and they drank, something then happened, the elders went back down the mountain, God called Moses up the mountain, 
And God had Moses stand outside the Shekinah glory for six days. And he wasn't allowed into the cloud until the seventh day. Now we can talk about Sabbath rest and all that. Here's the practical application. Moses had to be weaned away from every distraction that demanded his attention so that when he entered that cloud, there would be perfect stillness inside him. And his only thing on his mind was the presence and the power of the person of God. Yeah, now you just throw that out there. Show me the biblical passage that says that. There isn't one. You just made it up. David says, my soul is like a weaned child within me. The sons of Korah say, let go, relax, cease striving, be still, and no. Revelation knowledge doesn't come until every distraction that's demanding your attention is dumped outside the presence of the glory so that when you enter in, all you've got ears for is what God wants to say. Yeah, again, you say that. You make this assertion. Which biblical text says it again? Oh, yeah, not one. And you can't just get there in five minutes. Now, I know there are some people that have gained a level of mastery, but, but I can tell you it's important for us to soak. Why? And, and because God has to wash. Yeah, which, tech, which verse tells me I need to soak? Wash us from all the things that get in the way of our... And see, our thing is we want to fix stuff right away. And God is saying the more you try to fix stuff, the more you're going to get in the way of what wants to emerge. Because I want you to start making decisions not from a place of your thinking, but from a place of your knowing what wants to emerge. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what God says. He wants me to make decisions based upon knowing what wants to emerge. Again, which text says this? Not one. Utterly demonic. I didn't ask you to solve problems. I asked you to wait in my presence until I tell you what the next easiest step is. And then you're going to move from a place of knowing and not from a place of trying to figure it out. Because I think we're too, we're too fast to want to make things happen instead of... It doesn't say make God arise. It says let God arise. It doesn't say make the peace of Christ rule in your heart. It says let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Now watch. Watch. Elijah hears the sound of an abundance of rain. Right? Where does he hear it? In here. Faith comes by... Hearing and hearing by a word, a rhema from Christ. And the rhema he got was, sounded like rain. Sounded like rain. And when he heard it, he gave instruction to Ahab. Because they were both at a critical moment of decision. When God gets ready to shift things, everybody's got to make some decisions and evaluations about what they're going to do about it. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Do you understand that while there is one final coming of the Lord, that we experience many comings of the Son of Man in days of refreshing and restoration? Do you understand there was a coming of the Lord in Toronto in the 1990s? There was a coming of the Lord. No, there wasn't. That wasn't the Lord. That was demonic. God doesn't cause people to bark like dogs and, carry and laugh uncontrollably. That was not God. 
Lord in 1968 that was known as the charismatic renewal. There was a coming of the Lord in 1948 known as the latter rain outpouring. There was a coming of the Lord in 1904, actually 1897, Topeka, Kansas, which became the Azusa outpouring. And with every coming of the Lord, God separates out who is going to keep acting business as usual and who is going to opt to make a shift for business as unusual. Yeah, again, none of this is from God. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Men will be eating and drinking and giving in marriage. Elijah says to Ahab, go up, eat and drink. What does Ahab do? Rain's coming. Drought's over. I'm going to go back to business as usual. Eating and drinking. Which means he's going to miss the day of his visitation. What does Elijah do? Elijah decides to go up and make a shift. And he goes up to the height of Mount Carmel. Yeah, where does it say that Elijah decides to make a shift? He doesn't. Mount Carmel means beautiful garden. And he has to now, by faith, allow God to take him to another dimension because of what wants to emerge. Uh And where in the text does it talk about going into this other dimension? It doesn't mention in the text anywhere. How are you seeing it then? Are you with me? Are you breathing? I want to suggest to you that If you're hearing what I'm saying, it's because you are right now sensing in this season a shift taking place in your spirit. I'm sensing a shift towards apostasy and rebellion against God. Because you're hearing something that wants to emerge that hasn't happened yet. And you can't go back to business as usual because it no longer satisfies you. You've been through an elongated, elongated, protracted season of transition. And you now are looking, as Bob said, for another position. Because at this level, you are operating from a limited point of view. And when there is the sound inside of the coming of another rain, he will come to us as the rain. What's the rain? It's a fresh manifestation of the presence of Jesus. And And now we're allegorizing the rain that Elijah caused to to fall on, well, actually, God caused to fall through Elijah on Israel back in the days of Elijah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has nothing to do with some spirit or outpouring or anything like that. You know what it did? It actually just physically rained. And he will come to us as the rain, as the latter rain, the spring rain that covers the earth. And what happens is, is that when it's time for the shift, an hour is coming, an hour is coming, and now is, we hear something inside that says, I've got to abandon my point of view, and I've got to come up higher 
to a more. Yeah, I got to abandon my point of view. You know, like if you are one of these guys who hangs on to, you know, sound biblical doctrine and, you know, the faith once delivered to the saints, you got to abandon that point of view so you can catch up and get on board with the new thing that God's doing, the shift, right? It's nonsense. It's a satanic deception that you're hearing. Inspired viewing point. So Ahab can stay down there in a place called business as usual and go back to the behaviors he occupied before all the drought came. Elijah's going up to a more inspired view of reality because something has already shifted inside him. And now that it has shifted inside him, something in him tells him, you're the weatherman. You turn the water off. Now turn it back on. I'm just curious. Does anybody have a holy frustration in your inner man in this season? Does anybody have this sense of God Do not disappoint me. I am so hungry now for what you have promised that I can't... I'm ruined. I can never go back to the way it was. I once was blind, but now I see I can't take a disappointment. And he that believes on you shall in no wise be disappointed. I'm hearing something in my spirit and I'm shifting and you're making my feet like hinds feet so I can walk on my high places and when Elijah gets up some of you need to realize the reason you feel like you're out of breath It's because you're up at a level where the air is thinner and only eagles can handle that atmosphere. Boy, what a lofty opinion we have of ourselves, don't we? And way above that mountain, the God who knows if it wants to happen it needs to be spoken, is calling from heaven, where are the rainmakers? Yeah, no, God's not calling from heaven asking where the rainmakers are. You're just making all of this nonsense up and filling these people with complete demonic false doctrine. Where are the rainmakers? 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 Where are the Bereans? Where are they? Where are the people who like the ones in Berea? have a noble character enough to check this teaching out against the written word of God to see if it's true. Because if they did that, they'd realize this, none of this is actually true. None of this is biblical. What this man is spewing is satanic, false doctrine and lies.
all in the name of God, all in the name of Jesus, all in the name of God the Holy Spirit. If you're a rainmaker, let me hear you shout! Don't move! I'm almost done. Where are the rainmakers? Where are the people that have already made an internal shift that now have the power to shift atmospheres and change environments? Power to shift atmospheres and change environments. Yeah, I've got an air conditioner and I can change an environment, you know, by turning a light on or something. I mean, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Because rainmakers know if it wants to happen, rainmakers know if it wants to happen, rainmakers know if it wants to happen. And so, what does a rainmaker do? Watch. A rainmaker takes the position of a woman in labor in the old Middle Eastern culture that's about to give birth and she squats in the ground allowing the earthly force of gravity to pull out of her what wants to emerge. Oh boy. Um, Whatever was conceived was conceived illegitimately if you know what I mean. Elijah! gets in the birth position and starts to push. And as he's pushing, he says to his servant, I need you to go up one more level and look out into the waters of the deep and tell me what you see. What do you mean? I'm making rain. And yeah, um, sorry. The story of Elijah and the rain after the prophets of all perished at, the, at Mount Carmel. Yeah, that particular story is a descriptive story, not a prescriptive story. We're not called to be rainmakers. Again, Sharona is twisting this. I mean, again, the heretical cats are all over the place, hurting them next to impossible. And I'm sending you to look out into the future to see if it's on the horizon. And the servant runs up to the height of Carmel, looks out, and makes an incorrect assessment he comes back and he says to Elijah guess what I saw and Elijah says what he says nothing and Elijah says you dummy 
In the quantum physical world, they have proven there's no such thing as nothing. Because the observer is influencing the observed and creation is moving in response to what I'm intending to bring to birth. Because it wants to rain and I am Dustin Hoffman. We're the rainmakers. Boy, he sure is full of himself, isn't he? We're the rainmakers. We're the rainmakers. We're the rainmakers. We're the rainmakers. And it takes a cycle of aligning heaven with earth in perfection seven times. And on the seventh time, by this time, say, man, my boss is not doing any work at all. He thinks because he's over there groaning like a Pentecostal canary. Young preacher was around an old seasoned preacher. They're walking through the country because this was an old anointed Pentecostal country preacher and the young preacher says sir what's the anointing and the old man says see that cow in that field yeah that ain't the anointing (laughs) he said so what's the anointing he said see that bird on that branch in the tree he said yeah that's not the anointing He said, so what's the anointing when that cow can sing like that bird? That's the anointing. Where are the rainmakers? Elijah was a man of like passions. He was equally distracted, he was equally frail, he was equally frustrated, but he knew, he heard something, and he decided he was going to bring it to birth because he knew it's what heaven wanted to emerge. And he knew if it wanted to happen, he had to get down and begin to speak it into existence. I'm turning the water back on. Yeah, no text says that we human beings can speak things into existence. That would make us gods. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open the windows of heaven. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. 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 And he's got them whipped up into a frenzy. Over what? False doctrine? This isn't a word from God. Not what he's preaching. Let it rain. And when 
On the seventh time, the servant looked out. Hey, boss. Yeah, well, give me your hand. What's up? I see a cloud the size of your hand. Wasn't the size of God's hand. God didn't make it rain. If God's going to make it rain, he doesn't use a man-sized hand. Really, God didn't make it rain. It was Elijah that made it rain. Weird, huh? 180 degrees backwards. Men don't make it rain. Only God does. (laughs) But when you're a man, you got to work with what you got. (laughs) What Elijah was doing was releasing his intention and reaching into the atmosphere. Really, where does it say that he reached into the atmosphere? Where does it say he released his intention? No text says this at all. This is pure fantasy and mythology. And stirring up the molecular structure of the hydraulic cycle... With the hand. Stay with me. This was a man's hand. I'm telling you, it was Elijah's hand out over the water. You say, Sharoni, you're getting weird. No, I'm not getting weird. I've been weird since the day I was born. Yeah, no, you're spewing satanic lies. Say it with me. Death and life are in the guess what the word for power is yod hand what the hand is to the natural the tongue is to the invisible world with this hand I can pick up this cloth wipe my face with this hand I can move this to my lips and take a drink And with this hand, I can move things in the spirit to bring into existence what wants to emerge. I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And that's all Elijah needed to see. He got up, girded up his loins... And said, Ahab, you better get in that chariot and ride. Because it's about to rain cats and dogs. And Ahab has his charioteer fire up those six horses. And they breakneck speed head towards Jezreel, the fertile valley. But while they're going at 60 miles an hour... Some 
somebody just got his second wind. And he's girded up. And because he now made it rain, he's on his way to get wet before anybody else does. Where are the rainmakers? We're about to pray. Look at somebody and tell him if something is shifting inside you. You've already heard from heaven. You already know what wants to emerge. And if it wants to happen... You need to speak it into existence. Every one of you is a rainmaker in your measure of rule, in your sphere, in your city, in your nation. God doesn't need a million people. He just needs one Elijah in every region that can produce that much and that's the end of that and to say that that was one of the most blasphemous heretical false teachings I've ever heard well that wouldn't be hyperbole it's literally up there probably in the top three as far as most blasphemous spewings of nonsensical, self-absorbed, eisegetical nonsense and satanic lies that I've heard in a long time. Who got lost in the shuffle? Christ and him crucified for our sins. Didn't hear a thing about that now, did we? Oh, we heard about how important we are and how we got to birth things by speaking them into existence so that we can be rainmakers. The story of Elijah is not about you or I, or anyone becoming a rainmaker. What Sharona did there was literally like satanic in the highest order. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>